The Future by Stéphane Molyneux, Chapter 6. The girls were not expecting to see anyone this far from anywhere. Sometimes when they hiked in the early evening, they saw various VR eyes and ears floating through the trees like eerie fireflies of distant thought. But they weren't expecting any in-person footfalls on the stony heights of the mountain. They had never met a mean person, sometimes impatient, short-tempered, mildly irritated, but always there was this general social approach of being extraordinarily nice to children, so they were never concerned about interacting with strangers. The only crime they had ever really heard of was the crime of wasting your life, which was constantly aimed at the VR addicts called DOAvers or Dovers for dead-on-arrival VR. Occasionally, somebody would suffer from some biological ailment, brain cancer or something like it, and there would be abuse or violence. But since these lost souls lacked free will, they were not prosecuted as criminals, but rather confined and cured as victims of endlessly fallible biology. But actual, willing, malevolent, evil violence? That was as unknown in their world as a poltergeist at a physics conference. Alice and Emily had made it up to a small clearing, a strong stone's throw below the cave where the waterfall originated. Looking up, they could see the small vertical chasm, a tight spray of rushing water, the green loops of hanging vines, and small rocks polished by the rush spilling from the mouth. Why is it called Smudge Mountain? panted Emily. The emergency bot floated up around her sweaty head as if in concern. Alice smiled. The first sketch of this area was 700 years ago. The mountain was drawn in the distance, in charcoal, on the horizon. When the artist got back to town and unrolled the paper, it had all smudged. Emily shivered. I can't imagine the world back then. Alice snorted. Who'd want to? Sorry, (laughs) what do you mean? Emily shook her head slightly. Everyone here is always so nice to us, us kids. It's hard to get a good description of what it was like back then. Everyone keeps their mouths closed. That's worse. It leaves everything to my imagination. Like it was hell. She gestured at the mountain peak above. Like kids were just a smudge on the horizon. Alice nodded appreciatively. It wasn't hell, though. Hell is where you went if you were evil. But kids can't be evil. My dad says that kids had to be broken because the world was broken. And the world was broken because kids were broken round and round. I think of it more as a torture prison. I don't know how they did it. How did they go on? Get out of bed, go to school. I don't know, said Alice softly. Attacked, beaten, lied to, ignored. Why? whispered Emily, brushing her hair back. We don't have to know, replied Alice. It's never coming back. They drank some water, then started the steep, tangled path up towards the waterfall. They loved angling themselves to flow through the tangled branches, a slow, contorted dance of passage. It was Emily who first put her hand on Alice's arm. Perhaps because her father was a harpy and she was raised closer to the land and the ill temper of farm animals, her sense of caution darted up like the flared neck of a cobra. Stop! 
she hissed. Alice did not take away her arm and froze. What, do you see something? She whispered, barely audible. Alice nodded ahead through the darkening undergrowth. Those boys. Alice sighed. Gosh, you startled me. I thought you saw a bear or something, or a wolf. No, there's something. What? Alice moved forward and squinted. In a clearing ahead, just past the waterfall, two boys, almost young men really, were idly poking a stick into a small fire. Something brown was on a stick over the fire, but she couldn't tell what it was. The lightly blown sparks from their fire merged with the sparkling splashes of the waterfall in an elemental dance. I don't like the look of them, said Emily, her face pale. Let's go. She took a step back, pulling on Alice's arm, almost toppling her. Emily, whispered Alice, we've come all this way, and this is the one time you get to use a sky taxi. We're so close. It won't be the same looking at it later on the globe. Don't you want to explore? They're just two boys. Alice squinted again. Her eyesight wasn't quite as sharp as her friend's. And the closest to mean children are like half a world away in a statist country. She said the last two words with near visceral contempt. On its almost silent wings, the emergency bot shifted a little closer to them. With their heightened, startled reflex, the girls spun around to look at it. Alice saw Emily's eyes widen slightly. What? Emily nodded urgently towards the fire. Alice turned and saw that only one boy was now sitting with his stick in the flames. Had he been looking at them? So what? shrugged Alice. The other one probably just had to pee. Slightly shy people gain peculiar strength when they summon unusual assertiveness. Emily's hand tightened almost painfully on Alice's arm, pulling her backwards. Alice, we're going! Alice nodded, swept along in the undercurrent of her friend's fear. It seemed odd to Alice, since boys or children or people as a whole seemed about as threatening as a box of kittens. But something odd was happening to her friend, and it wasn't worth arguing with someone obviously in a high state of excitation. Later, they could debate, but there was a sudden, squishy, electric arc sound, and a shower of tiny blue and yellow sparks exploded in the air. In the sudden, shocked silence, they saw the hot shards of metal and plastic spread, scatter, and fall to the ground. Alice had a sudden and almost irresistible urge to stamp on the tiny wreckage for fear that a fire could spread and consume the trees. She even raised her foot, but stopped, when she noticed that Emily was not looking at the scattered wreckage, but rather eyes as wide as eggs, was staring into the bushes to the left of the cave. It was such a look of fear that Alice's foot froze and she stood there on one leg like a stunned comical flamingo. Alice followed her friend's gaze and saw a, oh, what was it called? Some ancient weapon or plaything of centuries ago, shaped like a Y. It shot pebbles or something like that. Slingshot. That was it. Someone just destroyed our, our property. The sentence ran through Alice's mind like lemmings off a cliff. This had simply never happened to her before, and she'd never heard of anything like this happening at all. It was almost unimaginable that someone would voluntarily choose to break something that someone else owned, particularly a child, the ultimate protected group in society. She opened her mouth, but had absolutely no idea what to say. 
The wild thought flickered through her mind that these two boys were really space aliens in human form who had no idea how human society actually worked. And, and, and that something terrible would happen. A thin tendril of fear began to rise within her as if her bowels were a tiny fire producing smoke. The sudden distance between them and their parents opened up in her heart, and she felt very alone and apart out of nowhere, it seemed. The boy by the fire laughed. She could see in the flickering ancient light that an utterly unjustified optimism had set him on the path of trying to grow a beard. Good shot, he cried. And there was a flicker of emotion in his voice that Alice truly had no words for. It was a kind of pride and triumph and domination and coldness and arrogance and... And suddenly she was afraid. She had heard many foreign languages traveling either in person or through VR, but they all had similar tones of reason and openness and friendliness. This was like a deep well with a person trapped at the bottom, trapped in deep time in the old world, like a child who had fallen down that well and cried lustily for help, but by the time you climbed down the crumbling wall, the child had turned into a crow-cleaned ivory skeleton that jumped at you in the dark. Oh my gosh, what is happening to my brain? thought Alice in panic. For the first time in her entire life, she felt a sudden desire to turn and flee, to run, to scamper from from predation. The younger boy emerged from the bushes, jammed his slingshot into a back pocket, spat to his right, and grinned in a lopsided, almost distorted manner at them. No reason for outsiders, he said easily. Alice felt another shock of fear. People who were utterly at ease in a bizarre situation. Again, she had no language for it other than the phrase... No strangers to strange. The older boy lifted his stick from over the fire, scattering yellow and orange sparks. Do you eat meat? Do you like meat? He asked. Although the skin of whatever he had been burning was still bubbling, he used his molars to rip off a strip. His hair was dark in the growing gloom, his cheeks smudged with soot and scratches and... and... paint... He raised his head to stare at the two girls. His eyes were hooded under his thick brows, his eyes the exact same color as the surrounding background, so that they looked like two holes that went straight through his head. Alice thought absurdly of two bowling alleys side by side. "'Can you talk?' demanded the older boy. "'Don't you know that it's rude not to answer a simple question?' His voice sounded pained, aggrieved, insistent. "'Maybe they're scared.' offered the younger boy. Oh, kids, far from home. Emily's voice startled Alice. She had never heard this tone from her friend before. Why did you destroy our emergency bot? The younger boy spat again. He was chewing something they could not see. You are trespassing and spying, he said angrily. You ever seen me coming to your house and staring in your windows? The older boy said, well, you want them to take us off the map? "'Cause this is ours, but they don't care. "'They don't take us into consideration, "'so why should we return a favour? "'Oh, no,' thought Alice, "'remembering the history of philosophy "'she studied when she was younger. 
Moral equivalence and reversal, this is not good at all. There's no need for us to be enemies, said the younger boy, walking forward and extending his rather grimy hand. Closer, the girls could see that one of his front teeth was missing, giving him a slight lisp. You are kids. We are kids. No need for... He closed his fists together and punched each knuckle into the other far too hard. The girls flinched at the sound. Alice swallowed. Swallowed again. Then found her voice. We really need to be going. No, said the older boy loudly. You trespass, you pay the rent. It's that simple. Law of the land. The rent? Thought Alice. With extraordinary rapidity, the younger boy walked forward and grabbed both girls very hard by the forearms. Sit a while, he breathed, and Alice, using instincts she didn't even know she possessed, commanded herself not to flinch in the face of his breath, which stank like the exhale of a collapsing mausoleum. From the corner of her eye, she saw the older boy nodding and kicking something lying on the ground beside him. Yeah, we're low on wood, and we have another gopher. The younger boy dragged them forward to the fire. Emily tried going limp, but he pulled her forward anyway, and she had to get up because her knees were being scraped to hell. We are reasonable folk, continued the older boy. You keep our fire going long enough to cook the next gopher, and you can go on your way. We don't want to stay, said Alice, feeling quite disoriented. Although... Expressing her reasonable preference had gotten her what she wanted 100% of the time throughout her young life, she was absolutely and quite suddenly certain that her will had no coinage here. My free will is mere fiat currency here. You don't want to stay, repeated the older boy mockingly, standing to his full height. He was a lot taller than Alice. Well, we don't want you here, but here you are, so I guess we'll just have to find a way to make the best of it. All these strange justifications circled the two girls like tiny sharks, like the sparks from the fire. And Alice suddenly remembered an argument she had heard when she was very little, that it was much safer being attacked by a big dog on dry land than a two-foot shark in the water, because the water was the shark's element, and there were no trees to climb. Emily began to cry. Some unknown instinct of hers felt tears coming, but pumped them up a little bit, perhaps to find some scrap of empathy or compassion in the two utterly strange boys. The younger boy picked up his stick from the fire and pointed the glowing end directly at Emily's face. You shut up! He yells. I don't care if you're a girl. No sniffling, no blubbering, no face mess or lippy trembles, all right? We're not here to hurt you. Do you have any idea what kind of insult you are throwing in her face by crying at her fire? We're not here to hurt you if you are nice! As if in a game where the sun was grabbed from dawn to noon, the faces of the two girls went suddenly pale. They both immediately understood the implication that some unknown and incomprehensible activity called being nice was all that stood between them and getting hurt. How badly neither wanted to know. "'What do you want from us?' asked Alice. The older boy sneered. "'Oh, now it's time to play dumb, right?' First thing she's got to do is stop the blubbering. We're not animals. We're not beasts of the jungle. Ah, 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 ah. He screeched like a monkey. It's just a bit of business, like I told you. Payment for trespassing. More civilized than others would treat you. You keep this fire going while we roast the gopher, and we're even. We're square. We're done. 
Emily took a deep, shuddering breath. And then, and, and then we can go? The older boy roared suddenly. Did we ever say you were wanted? I don't think so, girly. You are trespassing. You with all this property stuff should damn well understand. Alice was shocked. She had only ever heard true bellowing in the recordings of historical speeches when deranged politicians slid the hot spikes of inflammatory language into the festering resentments of some boiling mob. Strange to say, but the younger boy suppressed a giggle as the older boy shouted at Emily. Alice's mind spun absolutely at a loss as to whether this was a good sign or a very bad sign. Was this all a kind of play-acting, a test of their strength? Or could these two dangerous boys cast all norms of civilized behavior aside because they knew they would face no consequences for any of their actions? Her mind raced through wild escape scenarios. We could kick the fire and run, or I could grab the stick and whack one of these boys in the head. A burning stick, even better. And we could flee back down the path. But unless we totally disable them, it's, it's their territory, not ours. They are sharks in the water, not, not dogs on the land. Also, they have that slingshot thing, and the younger boy can aim like a laser. He could take us down, no problem. And Emily has that asthma thing, sucks your asthma, came into her mind from a long-ago story. So she couldn't make it very far, and the boys are bigger and stronger, and we can't call the Sky Taxi without the emergency bot, and there's just no way we can get away, at least not reliably, and I can't coordinate anything with Emily without the boys knowing, so what are we supposed to do? We can't actually get away until they let us get away. The image of her father rose in her mind, and she suddenly felt a confused form of protective tenderness towards him. Even if he was here, I've never seen him deal with anything like this. What would he do? Would he, take, would he take a stick to these boys and beat them? They are used to these woods and handy with weapons who would come out on top. And in this kind of situation, if anyone escalates violence without it being a decisive victory, things go from bad to worse in a heartbeat. Thinking of a heart beating led her mind to an old picture she had seen of an Aztec ritual. These primitive brutes worshipped a god that fed on the tears of the young. So they would torture children to death, sometimes cutting their hearts out of their living bodies to feed the sadism of their ghastly god. Dear world, what chasm tumbling to Hades have we stumbled upon? But again, the mood shifted once more, without warning. Once the two girls were seated and had refused the proffered meat, the boys sat in a relaxed manner, one leaning against a tree and clasping his hands behind his head. The older boy smiled, almost gently. Say... No need for tension. He pronounced it tension. Chiefs don't have to be angry when people do what they say. Then you're interesting. I bet we are too once you get over this fear, I guess. You were from out there. He gestured vaguely at the crescent moon still embedded in the blue jewel of the sky. And we are from <laughs> somewhere around here. The other boy nodded sagely. From parts unknown. The older boy jabbed a decisive forefinger in his direction. Exactly. Parts unknown. A spike of history, as they say. We, we are like noble savages and computers meeting in the woods. He stared at his grimy palm. Dirty hands clasping robot fingers, I guess. He laughed briefly but uproariously. And we wouldn't even be wandering around forever. Except my dad won't plant crops. That's not the old ways. Don't you have any questions for us? Asked the younger boy, slightly belligerently. Alice could see Emily swallow. Well, um, wh where, where are you from exactly? The older boy leaned forward, the light and dark of the flickering fire washing up his face. 
from way outside your experience, I would bet. I would bet everything I have up to or down to and including my soul. Soul, now that was a word from the old world, thought Alice. The younger boy appeared irritated. Stop talking in circles. You're like a dizzy magician. Girls, he said decisively, turning to them. You don't know anyone like us, do you? Both girls shook their heads numbly, their hearts pounding uncomfortably, almost audibly, they feared. This satisfied him for some reason. Good, good, as it should be. We are the originals. We don't put children on top. We were raised, not praised. We are not princesses like you. We don't expect the world to spin around us. We learn from our elders, the old ways, I guess you could say. We don't live in clouds. We don't ride robots. We don't outsource our bodies. Our flesh don't mate with metal. We are fully human in a way that... His sudden burst of verbosity seemed to fail him, and Alice guessed that he had reached the edge of the clichés he'd been fed with as a little boy. When you run out of propaganda, you run out of personality. With sudden vehemence, the older boy said, We just want to be left alone. The younger boy sighed, scratching his ear with a stick. But we won't be now, will we? There was a long pause, pregnant with disastrous potential. Both girls had a sudden intimation that detaining them had been an impulsive action and the ramifications of that decision were slowly becoming clear. Emily leaned forward. We don't have to tell anyone. We we don't care. This was just a kind of misunderstanding, I think. We can go on our way, and and when people ask us how our day was, we can mention everything except this. It doesn't really matter. We're just like two spears flying past each other on a battlefield. That last image clearly made no sense to her, and she closed her mouth suddenly. The older boy wrinkled his nose. You would lie to your parents, he laughed harshly. (laughs) Is that even allowed? Alice seized on the moral question, as was her habit. If we are in possession of information, it's not always a lie if we don't tell it. Every morning my dad asks me how I slept. Can I tell him every single detail of every single one of my dreams? Every time I woke up, if I even did? Can I tell him all my loose and random thoughts, which we all get when we're in the process of waking up and lazing and lying in bed? We can't ever communicate everything about us, so if we have to tell everything, I guess we're just lying all the time, every time we open our mouth, even if we don't speak. The older boy tossed a bone with several clearly visible incisor marks into the fire. The marrow began to bubble through the holes. He grunted. (laughs) Now that's deep, which is to be expected from someone who's been told what to think. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This ain't a court, but you and I both know that's just a bunch of words because you want to get away and tell. If you saw me unzip a flesh suit and show you my reptile insides and your little daddy asked you how your little walk was and you didn't mention that, you would be lying through your freaking teeth. Leaving out the most important thing is lying and I know how you would look lying to your little daddy because you just did it to me right now, right here. The boy finished in a sweaty flourish of strange panting. Wanting to break the tension of escalation, Alice jumped up. You wanted us to get some wood, right? I assume you don't want us to go together. We can go one at a time. I I could go now. Sit down, girl, cried the older boy. Let's just face it. We've all been lying to each other this whole time. The girls waited for him to continue, terrified of what he would say next. What could he mean? But he just sank into a gloomy silence, staring 
with the fire. The furry animal at his feet suddenly began to squirm to life, making a pitiful screeching sound. The boy raised his bare heel and brought it down hard on the creature's skull. The twitching and screeching stopped. The younger boy raised his eyebrows. You know, if we were to skin that thing, I bet these little girls would pass right out. The older boy laughed. <laughs> Imagine, if we start skidding it and it comes back to life under the knife, like peeling an apple that turns out to be a giant red eyeball. <laughs> For some reason, they found this funny as well and laughed again, heartily. The younger boy said, Oh, they're waiting for the sky angels to swoop in with lightning and save them. Pew, pew, pew. Alice felt a strong compulsion to keep the conversation going under her tutelage. When left to their own devices, the minds of the boys fell in sinister directions. I'm guessing you don't want to tell us your names, she said. I understand that, but, but can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? You're right, we've, we've, we've never met anyone like you before. The older boy turned to her with some interest. Oh, yeah? What about us? It's so different. He raised his knife in the morning. And remember now, I know what your face looks like when you lie. Alice's mind frantically ran through the various corridors of possible conversations. Open criticism was out of the question. Praise would be scorned. Remarks on personal appearance would give offence. What on earth could she say? You don't seem to care how we feel, said Emily suddenly. The unusual sentence hung in midair like an arrow frozen in flight. The older boy nodded slowly, obviously considering her words in all their complexity. I bet that's totally new for you. Tell me what it's like out there where you come from. He smiled. It's not a trap. I promise you, I really want to know. For some reason, Alice really did not want Emily to answer that question, but she herself could not think of a response fast enough. Emily said... Well, what do you want to know? The older boy scowled. Well, obviously, if I knew what I wanted to know, I wouldn't have to ask it now, would I? Alice laughed shakily. <laughs> well, well, I can, I can tell you, since you want to know, and, and I'd like to know about your history as well, so we can figure out why we are so different. I'm, I'm not going to talk for my friend here, but, but, but how was I raised? Her brow furrowed. It wasn't a language that she was used to. She spoke rapidly to cover the trembling in her voice. Well, my first me memory really wasn't anything real. It was just, just a dream. I was walking through, through the woods. <laughs> Gosh, it just struck me that maybe that's why I still like to walk through the woods. <laughs> and, and I came across a giant tree. And, and, and down in the earth, under the tree, there was this faint glow outlining the roots. Like, like when you hold your forearm up to the sun and, and the tiny hairs on the outside are lit with light. And, 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 and I began to dig around at the, at the base of the tree. It was really hard to get through. But underneath was a... Cave, I guess you could say, and, and in the middle of the cave was a treasure chest, which makes no sense. I don't remember ever seeing one in real life. And I opened the chest. It was kind of rusty, I think. Her story was interrupted by the older boy clapping sarcastically. He mimicked her story, conveying her accent quite accurately. And in that treasure chest I found golden gold, the treasure of my life. And I thought I would have to look for that treasure forever. But it turns out that my life was the treasure. And I have been shiny gold ever since. And I can't wait for some man to come and dig for my gold under the tree like an octopus. He held up his hands, fingers waving madly. Alice had no idea how to respond. She had never been mocked in her life. Come on, man, said the younger boy in an aggrieved voice. Don't ask her a question and make fun of her like that. That's kind of rude. 
The older boy rolled his eyes and cracked his knuckles. Eh, tell me your life and I'll tell you a dream. I guess I'll ask the questions. He turned to Emily and curled his forefinger towards him, calling her over. She hesitated and he picked another stick out of the fire and pointed the fiery end at her. If I wanted to hurt you, you'd be hurt already. Now get over here. Alice felt a sudden stab of annoyance when Emily looked towards her as if to ask permission or guidance. Alice shrugged tightly, thinking, What on earth do I know about how to deal with this? Emily got up and walked over to the older boy, then hesitated. Can you move that? She said, her voice shaking, pointing at the mound of bloody fur at the boy's feet. The boy followed her finger, then shrugged. Using the side of his foot, he shoved the dead gopher away. How do you want me? asked Emily. You can just kneel down here, said the older boy, drawing a small square in the leaf-scattered ground in front of him with the glowing stick. Smoke rose from the scarred earth. Emily did as she was told, and, sickened by the scene, Alice looked at her friend, who seemed to be kneeling before a swarthy sultan like a slave girl. She almost expected Emily to clasp her hands behind her back and lower her head forward. Seemingly appeased by his total control, the boy leaned slightly back and rubbed his belly with a strange delicacy. What is your name? Emily gave up her syllables, which seemed horribly intimate to Alice. Emily did not ask the boy's name in return, because that would have been to claim equality and provoke an escalation. Well, Emily, were you ever hit as a child? She blinked. Gosh, no, of course not. What about being yelled at? Anyone ever raised their voice against you? <laughs> Other than tonight, of course. No, that's never happened. Why, why would it? The older boy paused, then laughed suddenly, turning to his companion. <laughs> you know, I was just going to say to her that it is me who was asking the questions like I'm some dumb villain in a fireside story. <laughs> he let loose an exaggeratedly evil giggle. The two boys laughed, then the older boy turned back to Emily. Ever done anything stupid? I don't know what you mean. The boy smiled without humor. Well, for instance, me and my buddy here are currently in the process of do doing something very, very stupid, and we're getting a lot of trouble for it. He gestured at Alice. Your friend or sister or whatever here had her little dream of going through the woods and finding gold under a tree. Well, we will get the opportunity to walk through the woods and be forced to pick out a switch to get it with. Not so big that it breaks a bone, not so small that it doesn't hurt at all. It's a trick, let me tell you. So, have you ever made a stupid mistake, done something stupid? No, I... Can't think of anything. I, I, I don't think so, murmured Emily in a near-perfect voice of subjugation. The younger boy asked incredulously, So you've never been called stupid? Emily shook her head. The irritation of the two boys appeared to be rising, but Alice could not figure out why. The older boy said, So, either you've never done anything stupid, or you've done stupid things but never been called stupid, which means that everyone around you is lying to you. 
He leaned forward, his right hand still gripping the cooling stick. Tell me this, Emily. Are you perfect? She paused for a moment, and Alice could almost feel the onrushing tide of scalding honesty. Emily said simply, I feel perfect as I am. The older boy's eyes narrowed. What does that mean? He murmured. Emily did not hesitate. I don't violate the non-aggression principle. I'm reasonably kind. I, I, I stand up where needed. I don't do anything malicious or, or, or mean. I wouldn't... Some ancient instinct slammed the door on her remaining words. However, the damage by implication was done. The older boy leaned over her and murmured, You never punish trespassers, is that it? She refused to answer, staring down. He spun his glowing stick in an orange O, then gripped the middle and used the cooler end to lift up her chin. No, I wouldn't. Most conflict is just misunderstanding. A sudden tear trickled down from her left eye and her voice wobbled. We didn't know that this land was owned or, or, or claimed. There's no record of it anywhere that I... And there's no need for punishment. In the worst case, maybe ostracism, but I've not heard of that. And why would anyone want to do this? She turned to Alice, pleadingly, her voice catching. Her innocent and open question seemed to make the boys uneasy for a moment. The younger boy said softly, Come on, we should... It's too late, said the older boy out of the corner of his mouth, as if that somehow magically meant the girls could not hear him. It's like what Dad says about telling a story. If you're in and you get lost and it doesn't work, you just have to commit and keep going. He turned towards Emily again. You came out here for a new experience, right? She nodded. Quick as a flash, he dropped his fire stick and slapped her hard across her face. He said, Well, that was stupid. It was so totally unexpected and unprecedented in the girls' lives that Alice jumped up and leapt forward without even thinking and glared at the older boy. She was too terrified to touch him. She said, Why don't you pick on someone your own size? The younger boy was moving towards the pair, but the older boy shot him a look that stopped him in his tracks. The older boy curled his fist and punched Alice full in the stomach. She doubled over, but wasn't in a great amount of pain. She just knew instinctively that her only chance to avoid escalation was to pretend to be more hurt than she actually was. Oh boy! Giggled the younger boy in nervous and half-terrified excitement. The older boy was unabashed. That's about enough. Chitty chat. Go and get some wood, Emily. I'm still hungry. The strange and uneasy air of intellectualism that had dominated the first part of the interaction completely vanished. The boys ate the second gopher in silence, seeming to forget about the girls, and talked in obscure terms, coded words, it seemed, about fairly incomprehensible things, some sport they had dominated an enemy in, some girl they had humiliated by asking her to meet them far away and refusing to show up. Everything was about primitive status and victory and subjugation. They were untroubled by the effects of their actions, had no ability to negotiate except to fool people, and laughed at suffering. Their world was divided, without any grace, and people in their stories leapt back and forth from good to bad without any transition, almost like teleporting. 
The girls were frightened and confused. They had no idea what to do with being hurt and ignored, since that had never happened in their lives before. What did it mean? If they were forgotten and not needed, could they just leave? They exchanged glances and found some relief in pretending that they could leave at any time, but when it came time to actually move with many an eye motion from one to the other, their will and courage faltered because the sun had set and if they were suddenly commanded to stay and night was falling, well, their imagination failed them, which was perhaps even more terrifying than having a certain answer as to the path of their captivity. Were the boys trying to Press them by reciting stories of dominance? Alice took some comfort in that idea because it meant that the boys needed something from them, some kind of respect or admiration or obscure approval. This meant that they had at least a tiny bit of leverage in what seemed like an increasingly desperate situation. And then, incomprehensibly, they heard the tolling of a distant bell and the boys got up, turned their backs to the girls, and urinated on the fire, putting it out. The older boy turned around, tugged at an imaginary ear, said, Good luck! And then turned and marched in sturdy steps off through the bushes. And both boys disappeared. Chapter 7 was hard to believe that the boys were actually gone. The two girls stared at each other in the growing dark, hardly daring to breathe, although Emily's faint honk, honk could be heard in the slightly laboured silence. She raised her eyebrow at Alice, wordlessly asking, Do you think it's safe? Alice shrugged. She tried to listen hard for the footfalls on the leafy ground, but her heart was pounding so loudly that it coursed a faintly roaring thud, thud through her ears. Realizing that she had never really listened to a forest before, she was aware of the trickling of the water, the slow creak of the trees, the whispering dragging of the leaves, and her own heart, of course, again and again. An oddly legal phrase flew into her mind, probably from listening to her father's business conversations, There has to be a statute of limitations. She frowned. Sometimes her own mind could be puzzling. Then she realized that the phrase meant that the boys could not be circling back forever. If they were lying in wait or hiding at some point, they would have to come out or be assumed to have gone. She almost snapped her fingers in strange relief, remembering the endless games of tag and -and hide-and-go-seek she played as a girl. It was just four. This kind of situation. She vividly remembered hiding in a closet while her friends looked for her. It felt like forever, but she was afraid to come out for fear that they were listening for her rather than just looking for her. Eventually she had fallen asleep and had been dragged awake by her mother who had been looking for her for over half an hour, demanding that the house give up her location, but the house didn't know where she was either, so her mother had been forced to look by hand. Her mother had used that odd phrase which had made Alice giggle, look by hand, She could only think of her mother's hand with an eye in its palm. You can only wait so long. At some point the game is over and you have to come out. Plus it wasn't like they had all the time in the world. Their emergency bot lay in pieces. Night was rising and apparently they were still trespassers on the lands of crazy and evil people. 
Stepping as delicately as a low-gravity ballerina, Alice glided over to her friend and whispered in her ear, We have to go. Honk, honk. We don't have any light. One of the things Alice suddenly loved about her friend was that she did not ask if Alice had a light, but just stated an obvious fact. Holding Emily's elbow, Alice pointed at the place where the path began to wind down the mountain. Slowly, gingerly, they began to climb down, accelerating as they realized how fast the light was fading. Alice felt a stab of utterly unexpected irritation, rage almost, when her left foot dislodged a few pebbles which went clattering down the mountainside, summoning devils in her mind's eye. Sorry, she whispered in agony. In the darkness, she saw Emily's hair shake. It doesn't matter. The climb down, which seemed endless, turned into a terrible game of red light, green light, due to the clouds constantly scudding across the face of the faintly illuminating moon. The dim electric blue outlines of the natural world came and went, forcing them to stop and wait. Alice suddenly understood the draw of moon worship. For those who hunted at night or travelled in the dark, the moon was a necessary god of possible sight. As time passed, she realised that she should look upon the start-stop staccato passage of their descent with relief, because it sliced the time so decisively that she barely noticed its passage. It was only the growing tension in her lower back that indicated how long it had been. It was only when they got to the bottom of the mountain, which was pretty hard to measure since the slope only gradually went from 45 degrees to close to horizontal, that they realized that their frantic stop-and-go descent had been driven by a desperate emotional need to get off the mountain, the source of the crime, rather than because there was some plan that could only be achieved on relatively flat ground. They were trying to get away rather than go towards. Emily panted. Sorry, I need to rest. Somehow, Alice knew that her friend had considered saying, we need to rest, but probably thought it would be presumptuous. They stepped a little off the vague path and found a wide, broken tree stump they could lean against. A chill breeze wandered through them, stroking their bone marrow with icicle fingers. Emily jumped up, brushing at the backs of her thighs. Ugh, creepy crawlies! Alice got up too. Nature forbade them rest. It's only pretty if you keep moving she said. Emily burst into tears. Man alive, I wanted to push their faces into the fire. In the dark, Alice nodded uselessly. It's like a weird calculation. You, you don't even know what you could do. Like, do we hit them, push them off the edge, set fire to them and run? Stuff we've never ever thought of or even... She took a deep breath, putting her hand on her friend's shoulder. Look, whatever we did, we, we, we did it right. Although I hate that you got hit, I never thought I would have to see that in my life, and I'm so sorry that happened, but we are here, and, and we are okay, and it really could have gone in some totally different direction. I, I don't even know what that means, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it could have been worse. You did really well, and it's tougher because you're smaller than me, and, and you couldn't run because of the asthma. Emily smiled through her sobs. <laughs> yeah, it sucks to my asthma. Alice laughed shakily. You remember that, too? It was kind of like that, wasn't it? Except we didn't end up half-drowning in endless descriptions of sunlight on leaves. Emily took a deep breath. I'm not even that upset, which is weird, I think. I sometimes wondered, I don't know if you ever did, what I would do in a dangerous situation. 
And now I know. I, I, I kneel, I get hit, I half run, burst into tears and giggle. <laughs> it's like the badness doesn't reach too deep into me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Alice cocked her head to one side. For me, it was like they were just bald, dangerous apes, not even people as we know them, not open to reason, but really weirdly complicated. I couldn't figure out what their motives or mood changes were half the time, or more than half the time. I don't get that. She waved her hand up and down in the dark. Crazy up and down mood stuff. Emily took a deep breath, then coughed with a last fading honk. Yeah, well, we will have plenty of time to talk it over in the next few days. Oh, and I imagine your dad is going to get totally involved. And my dad, too. But we've got to figure out what we're going to do now. I ate most of my snacks on the way up. I have some crumbs and leftovers, but water is going to be a thing. We can probably follow a stream sound if we can catch it, but, well, how on earth are we going to get home? Her voice caught towards the end of her sentence. Alice said, Like most things in life, it comes down to the programming. What is the general programming for an emergency bot going down? She put three fingers to her wrinkling forehead. I really should know this stuff, but it's so easy to take it all for granted. Emily stared at the ground. I don't know either. I hate to say, but I wish a boy were here. He would probably know. They'd love to figure that stuff out for no reason. Well, there's a reason now. They stood in silence for a moment. A wolf howled at a great distance. Alice half forced herself to speak. Well, I, I don't think there's much point going anywhere now. We were supposed to tell the emergency bot to get the sky taxi 45 minutes before we were done. It matters what happens when the emergency bot goes down, but I don't know. As I said, it would be nice if it summoned the sky taxi in that case, but in that case it would already be here. The thought hit them both at the same time, and their hands found each other. We have to go back, whispered Emily. They gazed up at the frowning forehead of the dark mountain, glowering above them like a charcoal smudge of monstrous intimidation. After an endless climb, they crept to the clearing beside the chirpy, burbling waterfall, Alice felt almost offended that nature cared so little for their upset. The sky taxi was waiting patiently for them over the broken remnants of the emergency bot, and they piled in, brushing their legs and behind so they could finally sit without fear of insects and mostly collapsed on the white pews. They barely spoke on the way home, knowing that events were now set in motion that would change their lives for the foreseeable future. As it turned out, the foreseeable future meant the rest of their natural lives.